what we've been talking about is that God, he has identity markers for us that he gives to us, and we're to orient our lives. When we orient our lives around God uh, through Jesus Christ, these identities, they shape the way we think, and they shape and, and form the way we live. And these are markers such as, these are some of the things we've done. I'm a disciple, I'm a steward, a brother or sister, an heir. And tonight our focus is, I'm a saint. I am a saint. Um, saint is a very big identity marker in the Bible. It shows up hundreds and hundreds of times. In fact, if you want to know the precise amount, in the New Testament it's 229 times. Um, so clearly, if it shows up that much, this identity is significant. Uh, so just, you know, Psalm 30, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Daniel 7, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he starts off six of his New Testament letters referring to the people that he's writing to um, in these various cities. He refers to them as saints. So, for example, to the, to the church, to the people in Rome, he says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this identity marker of saints, it's everywhere in the Bible. And it really really matters to God. So what does it mean? And here's where we hit a potential snag. Because when you think of the word saint, you know, what comes to your mind? And <laughs> my guess... Okay. So my guess is that it's, it's stuff like this. And, you know, that if, once you, you go to Google and type in saints and you hit the image button... Once you whittle through the New Orleans Saints and the hundreds of pictures that come up about them, you get a lot of images of like these pictures, like whether it's mosaics or stained glass or paintings, of typically Christian people through the ages who are now canonized or called saints, right? So it could be Saint Paul, Saint Augustine, Saint Francis, Saint Teresa, right? Um, this is what typically pops into our head. So to some degree or other, all of these have these types of all of us have these types of images in our mind when we think about saint. But and, and this is the common pervasive understanding of saint. It's a what? A good, moral, virtuous person. Miriam Webster, I looked this up online, the dictionary online says a saint is a person who is very good, helpful, or patient. And then they gave this example of you are a saint for helping me all day today. Right? And if this is your understanding, and I have to imagine this, this is what comes to most of our minds, this is not, this is not the biblical understanding of saint. Like, so what the Bible means by saint, and then what the common understanding is, they're, they're typically two different things. So we have some work tonight to do to recover what a saint actually is. So here's our plan. I want to talk about the meaning of a saint. And then I want to talk about the mindset of a saint, and then the mission, and then finally the motivation. So that's four M's. I am not good at doing alliteration, but tonight I did it. So, so first of all, the meaning of a saint. Okay, A saint is a holy one. And I realize even that's fraught with difficulty, too, because probably for a lot of us, you think of holy as probably a good, virtuous, moral person. So I'm going to use this. It's a set-apart one. Okay? So look at how Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. So Ephesians 1, this is the 1984 NIV version, to the saints in Ephesus. So the biblical scholars in 1984, when they were translating the Greek, 
And the Greek word for saints here is hagios. This is where we get the word hagiography, right? Which is a biography that idealizes its subject. So there's your SAT word for the night. Okay. Um, so when biblical scholars, they're, they're starting to move away from using that word saints because they know that those images that just pop up, that's what typically pops into our head. So the 2011 version of the NIV, to God's holy people in Ephesus. So we replaced saints with holy people. And I'm going to do the NIV 2011 version one better. I'm, I'm not, not that I'm a biblical scholar, but I think this is helpful um, that by saint or holy one, right, that we're going to talk about what it means is, is to be set apart by God. Um, to be God's holy people means that you've been set apart by God. You've been separated <coughs> by God for his purposes. Okay? Uh, so when I played competitive soccer, I had a special t-shirt. It was a green camouflage t-shirt. And I, I set that thing out. I set it apart uh, from all my other t-shirts. I never, ever wore it unless it was a soccer game and I wore it underneath my uniform. right? Because it was my lucky <coughs> camouflage t-shirt. It had a special set-apart purpose for me. It was to help me win soccer games, and it completely worked. <laughs> and so the, the key meaning behind saint is that, okay, this is one, a person, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who has been set apart by God for his unique, distinctive purposes. Right? So instead of I am a saint, and you, I mean, you can think of that tonight, but I, I'd rather go with, like, I am a set-apart one, or I am a holy one. And, and while we're talking about the meaning of a saint, well, what is it that makes someone a saint? Right? You don't become a saint by being a pious or virtuous person. Right? That is that's in contradiction to the way we typically think about that. You become a saint by being set-apart by God. And the reality is, is that anybody can be set apart by God. Because you're set apart by God when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And acknowledging and recognizing that it's his life, his death, his resurrection, that it's that that reconciles you with God, that brings the forgiveness that you need with God. And that's what makes you a saint. And you know what? Actually, Merriam-Webster got it wrong, but, but Wikipedia got it right. They, they said that the original understanding of a saint is, and this is, quote, any believer who is in Christ, whether on heaven or in earth. Right? So being a saint is a status that God grants to anyone who approaches him on his terms. And his terms are, you come to me through Jesus Christ and your faith in him. So it's not a status that we earn, it is a gift from God that we receive by faith. And it is something that we're called then to live in light of. So that's the meaning of saint. So now what about mindset of a saint? The mindset of a saint is, I belong to God. Right, so if, if, if something is, or, or if someone is holy to God, or set apart by God, it means it, they're unique. Right? So God is God, we know that, and, and God is often described as holy. They're, they're, you know, he's unique. There's no one like him. And then also, 
whatever belongs to God is also designated as holy. So, you know, if you read through the, the Old Testament, certain utensils in God's temple were what? Called holy. The priest's robes were called holy. The candlesticks were holy. These things, it's not like they were, you know, moral. That's what we often think of when somebody is holy, that they're really moral. No, these things were unique, and they belonged to God. That's what made them holy. A priest couldn't use the holy spoon in the temple. A priest couldn't use that holy spoon to eat his food. Right? There's nothing wrong with using a spoon to eat food, but that particular spoon that was holy and designated for that in the temple, it didn't belong to the priest for a meal. It belonged to God, and it was meant to be used for the purposes that God set out for it. And so the priest would have to find a different spoon. Right? Um, so you see this sort of thing all throughout the Bible, God declaring things holy because now they belong to him. And one of the key texts where this happens is right there, it's on Exodus 19, where God speaks to the Israelites just after he delivers them out of slavery in Egypt, and he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So like out of all the nations, God said, you, you're my treasured possession. God says, you will be for me a holy nation. There's a lot of possessive pronouns in there. God is saying to his people, like, you're not just a nation, but you are my nation. You belong to me. You're a holy nation. So the mindset of a holy one is, I have been set apart and not only have I been set apart, but I've been set apart, and so therefore I now belong to God. And the New Testament text that, that I want to spend most of our time in tonight from here to the end is this text in 2 Timothy. Um, just two verses, and it reads, He has saved us, this is God, God has saved us and called us to a holy life. There it is. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So God, this is passion says, God saves us in Jesus Christ, and then he subsequently what? He calls us to a holy life, which means it's a life that's been set apart for him and it now belongs to him. Now, how do you react to that? You hear that. And, and if you're going to, I mean, if you've come to God and you've put your faith in Christ, this is your reality. And if you're considering it, if, you, if you're considering coming to Christ, then this is what's before you. But how do you react to that? That if, if you are a saint, like you belong to God. And I know some of you hear that, okay, you belong to God, and you find it very, very comforting. Right? Like, wow. I belong to God. You know, as human beings, we have such deep longings to belong. To belong to someone or something. You think of a baby or a young child, right? And, and how much they need for, for, for emotional health and, and physical health. How much they need to belong to a family. And their well-being depends on Right? Or when you come to Princeton. 
you're, you're probably anxious about, okay, well, where am I going to fit in? What groups might I belong to? You know, who, who's going to accept me? Right? There's, the, there's that desire, again, to, to, to belong. Um, you think about the opposite of belonging, like, which is being alienated or ostracized or excluded or rejected. And, you know, we hear those words and we think, like, okay, I remember some times when I've experienced that. I, I hope that doesn't happen to me anytime in the, in the near future. I'm just thinking about this idea of belonging and how it could bring great comfort and even joy. I just, a, a story that came to my mind is um, I have been to one movie premiere in my life. And by movie premiere, I don't mean going to like, on a Thursday night, going to a movie at midnight to see the first showing with like millions of other people all over the world. No, I mean like a movie premiere where there's like directors and producers and the actors who are in the movie group. They're like, they're there in the theater with you. Right? So, I have a friend who's in Hollywood, his name is Jason, and he invited me and Danielle and some other friends to, to go to a movie premiere in New York City for a movie, this was several years ago. So we went, you know, it was something so unique, so outside of my experience, and I mean, we had a great time, saw the movie, I was like three rows away from Nicole Kidman, she was one of the actor, actresses in, in the movie, um, and then afterwards, Jason, our friend, he's like, Hey, I'm really busy. I gotta go talk to some of the, you know, the people who are here. But like, look, you guys are my friends. There's an after party. It's like down the street, two blocks to the left, and you gotta, you gotta go. There's gonna be food. All the, all the people are gonna be there. Like, so just go, and I'll, I'll show up real soon. So me and Danielle and all of our friends, we walked, we followed the directions to the, to the after party place, and there was this really long. There was a red carpet. Right? And then on the red carpet, there was this really long line to get in, to like wait to get into the after party. So like all of us, we got there late, so we're like last in line. It's like all like a half a block to get into this, to get into this really nice restaurant. So we're just waiting there, we're talking, we're laughing. Like, can you believe this? This is an amazing experience, right? But we're like at the end of the line. And then all of a sudden, our friend Jason, you know, who was, you know, in the theater talking to people and mingling and all that, he comes walking down the block and he's like, hey! Hey, what are you doing standing in the back of the line? Come with me. Come on. And we just like jumped out of the back of the line. And we just like leapfrogged over everybody, like past. And we just, and he just like took us right into the park. Because it's like, you know, he said to like the bouncer, he's like, hey, I'm Jason. I'm Jason. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm with this guy. I, I belong to him. You know? This is great. Like, that's just like, like it, it's just a funny story about, like, but, you know, there's, there are parts or there are aspects that in life where we belong. It can bring great comfort. It can bring great joy, security, right? Um, it really kind of depends on, like, well, who is it that you belong to? Um, but, so how do you react when you hear, like, to be a saint is to belong um, to God? We long to belong. Um, but, and, and belonging can bring great joy and comfort and security, meaning and hope. But then some of you might hear, you know, you belong to God. That's what it means to be a saint. And you bristle against it. Right? It's like, well, wait a second. This is hard. I, I want to be independent. I, I, don't, I don't want to belong to or I don't want to answer to anybody. Um, you know, the United States of America became the United States of America because it did not want to belong to England anymore. You know, we wanted our independence. Um, and so we celebrate that on July 4th every year. You know, when you come to college, you have more independence, most of you have more independence than you do at home uh, in terms of curfew and life choices and so forth, right? 
And then you know you might go back home again, and you know for some of you who are freshmen, you haven't maybe experienced this yet. But then you go back home, and you're given a curfew of like, could you please be home at midnight? And you're like, midnight? Oh my goodness! That's when I go out of my dorm room to do my peace set with my study partners. Like, like, where's my independence, right? So to belong means that you're not your own anymore. You lose your freedom, you lose your independence, and you now live for another. So really, to belong to God. It's both of those things. Okay? Yes, it will bring comfort and joy and meaning and hope. But it's also difficult. It has a challenge. You're not your own anymore. You now belong to God. So what would motivate us to live for God in that way? To, to want to belong to him, even though we would rather be independent sometimes. And that motivation, we can circle back to that here at the end. But the third thing is, is I'm going to talk about the mission of a set-apart one. And the mission is, I am to live distinctively for God's purposes. And the way that 2 Timothy puts it is that God, he saves us and he calls us to a holy life. Right? Like, God saves us and then the mission is, I'm calling you to a holy life. A life that is to be lived distinctively for me. God doesn't save us to then give us warm and happy feelings and thoughts, although those might come. He doesn't save us to then just give us whatever we want. No, he saves us, and then after that, he calls us to live for him, to live distinctively for him. And again, remember how the utensils were in the temple. They were set apart, right? They belonged to God. The Israelites would never take a holy utensil, like a spoon, and use it to dig a hole out in the fields. And they would never take one of the priestly garments and spread it out, you know, to have a picnic. Nothing wrong with digging holes and nothing wrong with picnics. But, like, those were not the purposes of those things. Those things were holy. They were set apart for other things. They they had a restricted use. So if something is holy, it's now separated out and it's only to be used for God's designs and purposes. So as God's holy ones, we have a unique mission for to show the world that we belong to God and we're to live distinctively for his purposes. One of the questions that you're going to get asked, probably the most frequent question you might get asked post-graduation, is what do you do? Um, Megan's already smiling because she she hasn't been out for very long and probably that's what she gets asked a number of times. I'm I'm the coach of one of these, I'm actually in my son's football team. I'm not just the assistant coach, but son's football team. I'm the assistant to the assistant you got. (laughs) (laughs) And so last week, two different parents asked me, just on the sideline of a football field, a flag football field, it's like, they said, what do you do? Uh, It's just a huge focus in our culture. And so our work and our vocation, it's such a big part of our daily purpose. In your life, I've calculated, if you start working at 22 and you finish at 70 or thereabouts, it's 120,000 hours of work. It's about 14 years of your life. And that's huge, and that's a big part of your mission in life that God will give you. Um, So yes, you need to think about this future vocation, about like your major, and you need to be praying about it and talking about others, talking with others about it. But as you do... Realize that you will always have a purpose and a mission. If you're a saint, you have a purpose and a mission that is higher than that vocation that so many people focus on. Right? And that mission is to live distinctively for God as a student, or as an employee, or as a mom or dad, or 
or as a neighbor, or as a football coach, assistant, assistant, right? So just, just don't think about what you're going to do. Thinking about this means like you're thinking about how you're going to do what you do, right? How am I going to do what I do? Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor and a writer. He captures this really well in a book called There's a Hole in Our Holiness. Actually, so if you want to read a book on what it means to be holy, I recommend that book. He says, a dying world needs you to be with God more than it needs you to be with it. That's true for me as a pastor and true for you as a mother, father, brother, sister, child, grandparent, friend, Bible study leader, computer programmer, bank teller, barista, or CEO. Your friends and your family, your colleagues, your kids, they don't need you to do miracles and transform civilization. They need you to be holy. They need you to distinctively live for God in all that you do and whatever you do. So how will you stand out because you live for God? What will people see that's distinctive about you because you know, you have the mindset that I belong to God. What will be true of your speech? Your lips, your ears, your eyes, your behavior. Um, What about your body, your your ambitions, your priorities, your time? You know, and I was thinking about just, just... really bring this home in a practical way. Like if you took seriously that you belong to God and you were set apart for his purposes here at Princeton, like right now, like what would be the top three distinctive things people would notice that are different about you? And I would love, like if you think about that, like what would be, if I live for God here at Princeton, what would be those two things or three things that would be very distinctive and stand out here at Princeton? I'd love to hear what list you come up with. I think one of them would be you pray. This is, this is the list that I thought of. You pray. Because this is such a driven culture, driven by human effort and ability, you know, <clears throat> working hard until three hours in the morning sometimes. But that if you take time to pray, you will stand out and be distinct. Like you're expressing your dependence on God, that your effort and your ability has limitations. That you're taking time to pray and not to work and get things done and to drive things forward. So Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You pray. Or, or here's another one. You don't complain about your work. Right? But you actually give thanks for your work. That would be very distinctive here in this culture. Because, I mean, you know how it goes. People, they have a lot of work, and then what they do is they vent about how much work they have. They want to try to find somebody to listen to them, to commiserate with them. They feel better, and then they go off, and then they get the work done. You know, what if, what if, what if instead of that, we express gratitude instead, right? Thankful that God has brought us here. Thankful that he's given us the opportunity and the ability to work, to learn. Thankful for our teachers, even the ones that we find challenging or maybe we don't get along with, because God is still at work teaching us through them. You know, that would be really distinct. Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, Paul says. 
I taught middle school math for six years. Some of you know that. You've heard some of my stories. At one point, one of my coworkers, no joke, you know, I was in the faculty room, and this person's not a Christian, but he said to me, because he knew I was, Chris, I know that your Christian faith is real, because when you hang out here in the faculty lounge, you never complain and moan about the students like so many other teachers around you. So, you know, to not complain, but actually give thanks. Uh, and, and another one, to be quick to listen to others. Slow to anger. Um, especially when people think differently than us. Right? In the wider public, this is, this is no big news flash. In the wider public, we have lost a lot of civil discourse and just basic human kindness. You know, where you actually show the other person that, look, I care about you, and I, I want to listen to you, and understand how you think and what you believe. And, and to do that more quickly than to, to, to win your point, or to start an argument, or prove that you're right. And I'm not calling us to be doormats and pushovers. I'm not saying that. Because, you know, as Christians, we believe we have a truth, and that truth leads to joy and, and meaning in life, and, and we, that truth needs to be shared, but what I'm, what I'm saying is just, you know, just taking time to listen to others, showing them that basic kindness and love is real when you know God. That would be distinctive today. James 1, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So, you know, what's your top three list? You know, prayer and resting in God, not just working all the time. Gratitude for work, not complaining about it. Quick to listen to others, slow to speak, slow to be kind. You know, that's distinctively living for God in this place. Matthew 5, it's right up there. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So finally, the motivation of a holy one. <clears throat> we just sang the song, Come Thou Fount. Um, one of the verses in there goes, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. And then this three words, Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart. There are lots of different motivations that you can have to, to be a saint, to, to live distinctly for God, to be holy, to be set apart. Right? But I, I want to focus on that. Let thy goodness, that our motivation would first come from looking at God, who he is, what he's done, and seeing his goodness. And then the motivation flows out of that. So for example, coming back to the passage, 2 Timothy passage tonight, Consider God's goodness, right? It says, God saved us not because of anything we've done. God is gracious and kind and does not treat us as our sins deserve. You belong to God first and foremost if you're a saint because it was his purpose and his grace that saved you. Just let that sink in. We could not save ourselves, but Jesus could and did. So consider his goodness. 
as it says later, Jesus destroyed death. Jesus destroyed death by dying for me and you. He overcame death by dying, so that death will not have the final word with us. I have friends facing death right now, and this truth, this promise, is so real to them. That they can look at a scary thing in the face and still be scared, but to, to have hope that Jesus will bring them through death to be with him forevermore. I mean, I just Jesus' words in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he or she dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks. I have friends who are clinging to that. So consider his goodness. Jesus destroyed death. Consider his goodness. He brought life to us. It says that he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has brought life to us, true, real life. It is not God's purpose to save us in Christ, to forgive us, and to to bring us close to him, and then to call us to a life that's just awful and dreadful. I mean, that would be a really bad plan. Jesus didn't give up his life so that he could ruin our life. He gave up his life so that we can be raised with him and raised to a new life. It's a holy life. It's a life set apart for his purposes. But he calls it the abundant life, and it's life as it's meant to be lived. It's not a life of dread or a terrible life. It's life as it's meant to be. So consider his goodness. Like, let thy goodness like a fetter. This is the one. Like, when when we, when we know we're saints... We belong to him. This is the one to whom we belong. He's good. He loves us. He has sacrificed for us. He has done everything possible to make a way so that we would come back to him. So it's out of that that we find motivation to live for him. The motivation might be wonder. Why would God do this for me? It might be gratitude and thankfulness. It might be joy. An eager desire to tell others about the same God. And it might be trust. That, yes, even in the difficult things of life, where I thought, I don't want to give up my independence here, God. But I'm going to trust that giving it up and following you and doing your way is better than what I imagine or what I think is best. Because he is good. And when we come to that place of motivation, when we come to that place of seeing and considering God's goodness, you know, in the second half of that same stanza, may this be our prayer. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And then we would that daily, today, tomorrow, daily then, Give our hearts to God and to live for him because he is good. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do give you great praise and thanks for who you are. That you had a plan. We didn't talk about this, but as the text says, it's a plan that extends far, far back before the beginning of time. You knew the plan, and the plan involved bringing us back to yourself, calling us holy when we put our faith in Christ. 
pray that you would encourage us for those of us who have called him Lord and who are trying to follow him in this world. Those of us who belong to him, I pray that you would strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit who is at work in us. That you would strengthen us to live distinctively for him in all that we do. And for those seeking, wondering, is this true? Can I trust Jesus? I pray that, Lord, that you would open up their eyes to see the beauty, the grace, the love of Christ in a fuller, deeper, and richer way. I pray that you would help them take that next step in trusting you. In your name, your name. Oh, Lord, you are it's good to sing your praises. It is good to gather here tonight together. It's good to pray to you. It's good to gather together in and under the name of Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name.